if you're following along in one of these Bibles in your seat, that is page number 640. 640, okay. Um, let us all stand together as we read God's word um, together um, this morning. I'll read, please follow along um, in your Bible or in the words behind me. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before God, uh, before our God and Father, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For only has the word of the Lord sounded for, not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Um, Tony, come forward, and we will um, all together pray um, for you this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you um, for this church, um, for this word, um, for your love. And I thank you for my brother, Tony. Um, be with him, fill him, and let his word, um, your word, um, sound powerfully from him, Lord. We love you, and we pray in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Hey guys, um, have, has anybody here ever had a conversation with someone and the more you talk to them, the lazier you felt? Like the more they talked about the things that they were doing, the more you looked at yourself and thought, I, I'm not like doing much. I, I, I had a conversation on one Sunday morning, you get together and you do small talk, right? And a conversation with someone, I was like, so what did you do yesterday? And they're like, oh, oh, well, I ran a marathon. Like, true story. I'm like, you ran a marathon? They're like, yeah, yeah. I've been training for it for a long time. I got up yesterday, and I'm kind of I'm sore today, but yesterday I ran a marathon. And I talked to them, and I found out that they had, like, got up in the morning, run for, like, it took them about four hours to finish, and, like, had finished before noon. And then, so what do you do this weekend? I slept in. Like, they had gotten up and run a marathon before I'd even woken up in the morning. Um, and you could look at them, and they were, they were a fit, productive kind of person. And um, it made me feel lazy. Um, have you ever compared your life to others? You get on Facebook, and it seems like everybody's doing all this cool stuff, and you're not doing much? Um... You've, you've noticed the graphic says awake. This is kind of be a theme that we're going to come back to a lot of times. And as we come into this, um, we come in from last week talking about what, is it, what does it mean to be awake? What does it mean to be spiritually awake? What does it mean um, to be awake? And I, I was thinking about this passage and this subject this week, and I was like, you know, oftentimes I look at my, my life, 
and I feel like I'm going through it in a daze. Like I'm, I'm asleep. Like I'm not getting enough done. I'm not doing enough stuff. I wish my life could be more. Is anybody with me on that? Wish your life could be just a little bit more? Um, and how about spiritually? Did anybody ask themselves the questions we talked about last week? What would my, wi- what would my life, not my wife, what would my life look like if I was more spiritually awake? How would it change me? As we go into the text today, we're going to look to the Thessalonians as an example um, of people who are running a good race, maybe when we're not even awake yet. We're going to start back in verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. So if you remember from last week, whenever we were in Acts, we talked about the the people that were going to be involved in the discussion as we talked about the, the church in Thessalonica. We have Paul the apostle, kind of the main church planter who came into town, who planted the church. We have Silvanus, um, also called Silas in the book of Acts, who was his kind of right-hand man and his helper as he traveled and planted. We have Timothy, who is his, his kind of apprentice. He's a younger man who's come along with Paul and Silas to learn the faith, um, to learn the missionary work, and, and to give his life in service there. And so those three people are the group that the Thessalonians were most familiar with, that administered to their needs the most. Um, They're the ones that were there when the church was planted, even though it was briefly because of the riot, if you remember, that broke out in the city. And they're writing back to the church of the Thessalonians um, to kind of follow up. Um, And so we'll see, the, we'll kind of fill in the blank of times. Looking into verse 2. It says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. We give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Um, In this verse, what we see is real affection. Actual affection and love. Um, you guys know what it feels like to be loved by somebody in your family? Like you can just feel it, like they, they act towards you in a way where, where it's like, you know, this person actually cares. And how easy it is to tell the difference between that, like real love, and just kind of an association. Right? You spend time with them, but there's no real care. What are some of the markers of difference? The people you love, you think about, right? You think about them. And here we have this idea that Paul and and his followers are thinking about the Thessalonians constantly. They're always thanking God for them, mentioning them in their prayers. And so we see in Paul of a mark of godly leadership towards the Thessalonians. You know that I care about you. You saw that I care about you whenever I was there and know that I'm praying for you constantly. 
And then he speaks of them. Verse 3, he says, remembering, this is, this is what's the content of his prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so as Paul thinks about this church, these people that he loves, these people that he cares about, he's, he's thinking about them and he's recalling three different things. And so he's not just like, oh yeah, I met these people and Lord help them. No, he's specifically remembering three characteristics that he saw in them and he's thanking God for those characteristics um, and, and, as he prays for them. And we're going to take a little bit of time to go over each of these because they're key. The first one that he mentions is their work of faith. And so what we see in the Thessalonians is an attitude and a characteristic whereby they do good works. They, they're active in doing good. Good works um, elsewhere in the Bible refers to things like charity or service. Um, Paul contrasts works um, with faith in other places, um, talking about works that come from the law. In other words, you know you're supposed to do certain things. Right? If it comes from the law, don't, don't cheat, don't steal, etc., don't steal. And likewise, take care of the poor. Here, he's not talking about works that are done by the Thessalonians just because they think they have to do them, right? Because it's out of a law. No, he's talking about their works of what? Their works of faith. And so as he remembers them, he's remembering the, the charity that they showed him the work that they do, and how it flows out of their faith. Their faith produces works in their life. And so he's thankful for their works, but he recognizes that the works don't emerge out of a vacuum. He doesn't just say, I remember your good works, but he remembers their works of faith, their belief, their loyalty. And then he mentions the next one. He says, labor of love. So not only are the Thessalonians working, not only are they doing acts of charity and acts of service and other good things that would honor God, but he recognizes that they labor. Um, do we recognize the difference between just doing a work and laboring? Um, you know, if I drop a dollar in like the, the Salvation Army change collection at Walmart, right? I could think, oh, I've done a good thing, right? I, I know that they're going to use that to help someone else, and that's a good work, you know? If I, if I you know, write a check to, to help support a cause, that's, that's a good work, right? But it's over really quick. Like, it's, it's there and it's gone. Um, I can say, I'll do, I'll do the dishes for you. You know, I'll go over to your house, I'll do the dishes. That, that's a good work to do for somebody, right? But it's over and it's gone. When we talk about labor, we're not just talking about a good work, like good actions that the Thessalonians did. And so as Paul thinks about them, he's not just thinking of people who do good things, but he's remembering a people that were willing to labor, to exert constant, ongoing effort. And so their works weren't small, but they went on and on. Strenuous service with intensity, 
the kind of work that takes a toll, right? It's not just doing the dishes. It's taking care of someone every day when they can't take care of themselves as an example. And the labor, again, just doesn't come on its own. Paul doesn't just say, I remember your works and your labor. No, it's specifically labor of love. If you have a different translation, like an NIV or a CSV, it'll talk about the labor that comes from love, that flows out of love. Real care, real affection. And so he recognizes the Thessalonians as people who love one another, who love others. And out of that love comes their willingness to labor. It's not out of a vacuum. And the last thing that he he comes he that comes to his mind as he prays for them is their steadfastness of hope. Steadfastness is just this endurance when things get rough. How did how did Paul leave the city? We just mentioned it a second ago. Feel free to shout it out. What happened? Like it was a riot. Paul comes into the city, he preaches the gospel. Men and women start to become saved. They start to receive Christ. Their lives are changed. And the the Jews that didn't believe get jealous, and they stir up a crowd and they riot. They shooed Paul out of the city for fear of his life. But what do you think happened to the believers who were left behind, right? Think things were smooth for them in Thessalonica in the coming weeks and months? And so, not only did they have good works that came from their faith, not only did they have a willingness to labor out of the love that they had for each other and others, but they also had endurance to keep it up. Like labor upon labor, work upon work. They were steadfast. But their endurance... Their ability to keep going, even whenever things got tougher and tougher, didn't just come out of a vacuum, right? It comes from somewhere. This time, we see it's a steadfastness of hope. And not just kind of a, uh, oh, I hope things will be better, right? Is that ever your hope, like during the day? You're having a bad day, and you're just like, well, can't get much worse, right? I, I hope things will get better. This isn't just a generic hope. No, it's hope specifically in Christ. And so they're able to endure. They're able to, able to keep working, to keep laboring, to keep moving forward in their faith. They're able to have endurance because they look to Christ and they're hopeful of what he represents for them. They're hopeful that they've not been left alone forever. That they're not just going to constantly forever, for all eternity, be pressed down. But they knew, as we, as we see at the end of this section, that he's coming back. He's returning for them. He's not going to leave them alone. And so they had hope in him, hope in what he was doing in their community. And out of that hope flowed steadfastness and endurance. 
So we've talked about faith and love and hope. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Um, if you've attended a wedding, maybe you've heard like similar phrasing before. I'm going to read uh, a passage out of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And um, this is read at just about every wedding I go to. So uh, this, is, this is just the one. Oh, sorry, 14. This is not, this is not it. Technical difficulties, that's funny. I have it written down wrong. It's 13. Sorry, Ryan. (laughs) So if the bugle gives an indistinct, everybody knows this verse. (laughs) Oh, my. Can we try again? All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 8 to 13. This is the one you hear all the time. Oh, my. All right, let's read it. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. For now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. So is this familiar to anyone? You've heard this before? You've heard it at a wedding, maybe? Um, In... The reason I bring this up is that in the context of 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking to a people that are obsessed with spiritual gifts. Like, what are the ways that God has gifted me and made me amazing, right? And he's, in a, in a sense, rebuking them for their obsession. And he's saying, these things are all going to end someday, your spiritual gifts. But beneath them all, at the bottom... The foundation that never passes away. The thing that doesn't go away, that doesn't stop. Faith, hope, and love. And so as Paul remembers the Thessalonians and all of their works and their labor and their steadfastness, he recognizes like he's not not just excited about their gifts. He's excited that they get the core things that gifts flow out of. We all, I think, at times yearn for talents and gifts and compliments. We want to be the type of people that we're looked at and and people say that they're a hard worker, right? Look at the way that they're, they're able to endure and labor. All the good that we see in the church, all the real good that we experience, um, flows out of faith, hope, and love. The core things. And these are the things that the Thessalonians had. The gospel swept in, they woke up, and their hearts were changed. 
So how do we get them? Where do they come from? Because I, as I read and studied this, I was <laughs> a little, little bit convicted. Um, where does it come from? Let's go to verse 4. It says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. How do they know that? They know that because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. So where do these types of attributes come from? Where do we get faith and hope and love that all of our works can flow out of? We see in Paul's very next sentence, that it starts with God. It starts with him. It says, God, we know that God's chosen you, right? Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and full conviction. And so it starts with God. And then it's bestowed through the gospel. And so the heart change that we need that the, the kind of core identity, the, the attributes that we need to change who we are and how we act, comes through the gospel, which is preached by leaders, such as Paul and Silas and Timothy. It's the gospel. Um, this is why we talk about the gospel every single week. It's why we talk about the gospel in our MCs, because we can... We can desire all the trimmings of the faith, but the core change comes only from the gospel. But did you catch what he said about the gospel? That it came not only in what? Not only in word. Words aren't enough. Like the just knowledge of what the gospel is, the details. It's not enough. It didn't come only in word. It also came in power. Now, in some places, um, whenever Paul speaks of, of the gospel coming in power, he's clearly referring to not just the words that he spoke, but also the ministry that he did around that, specifically miracles that he would perform. And so it was, not, it was not uncommon for Paul to come into a city, preach the gospel, and perform miracles as a way to show the gospel that he preached was valid and true. But if you recall the story in Acts, what was Paul's ministry there? It mentions nothing about miracles. The only thing it says is that he reasoned with them out of the scriptures. And so we have no evidence that the power that he's talking about here is just miracles. But one thing we can be, be certain of, based on just his description of the Thessalonians alone, is that the words that he spoke came with power, right? Because it had impacted them in a way that he didn't have to stick around for the change to last. Now, whenever they received the gospel, they received it with gladness and strength. And so the words that he preached were not just words. They were powerful words that changed lives. But they weren't just powerful words 
as, as someone could get up and like shout and work up a crowd and make everyone feel really good because it's a, it's, a, it's a powerful speech. They're not just powerful in the sense that human speakers can speak powerfully. They're powerful um, and with what? The next thing it says is the Holy Spirit. So the words came in the Holy Spirit. So whenever Paul preached, the Holy Spirit did this miracle so that the words that went out had more power than they could ever have on their own. The Holy Spirit basically holds the keys to the hearts of men to be able to receive truth. And so the Holy Spirit goes out as Paul preaches and he opens hearts. And so their ministry wasn't just the words, the facts of the gospel, but it came with power. It came with the Holy Spirit. And then it says, with full conviction. Paul and Silas and Timothy felt the truth of the gospel deep in their bones. They knew it was true. They felt it was true. And so whenever they preached, whenever they taught, whenever they reasoned with the people in Thessalonica, they did so from a place of conviction that these people needed the gospel. I want to I talk for a second. Um, this, is, this is for everybody, but I want to talk specifically to the people among us who aspire to be leaders in the church. Um, if we aspire to be a leader in the church, that means that we care about others receiving the gospel, right? I mean, why else are we trying to be a leader if we don't care about that? Many of you who are leaders have come here and you've told me and you've told others that I wanted to come be a leader. I wanted to come learn in a church that's gospel-centered. Like, I've heard that exact language from some of you. I want to be a part of Chorus because I know that Chorus is a gospel-centered church. Hear me on this, all you aspiring leaders. Being gospel-centered means nothing. It means nothing if our gospel is only words. We can have all the right facts. We can have all the right doctrine. We could get to heaven and like Jesus is surprised at how smart and right and we, you guys just understood it all, right? None of that matters. None of it matters. If our gospel is only words. How our faith and love and hope inspired in the churches oftentimes it's through the ministry and impact of the people who preach the gospel it's not just what they say it's them and how they show it to be true with their lives the holy spirit likes to work with and through ministers of the gospel who really believe it who really believe in its power, who are fully convicted, and who walk with the Holy Spirit. There are people in the world who have been saved just by reading their Bible, but the majority came to know Christ 
through the ministry of another person. And so if you are an aspiring leader in this church or in any church, the words aren't enough. So through the ministry of Paul and Silas and Timothy, the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of the gospel, the people in Thessalonica started to wake up and to grow up. We see this process through the rest of the verse, through the rest of the section. Um, I'm going to read verse 6 through verse 8. It says, And you became imitators of us in the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith, uh, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So that we need not say anything. And so this is how growth in the faith happens. It happens largely through imitation. What does Paul say to the Thessalonians? You became imitators of me. Right? And of who else? And of the Lord. Um, because we fail. Um, I could, with Paul, say, imitate me, right? But if you just imitate me, you're going you're gonna to be messed up. Um, because I fail, all, I like, I fail all the time. All the time. And those of you who know me the most know that that's true because you've seen it. Um, Christ doesn't fail. And so the, the church became imitators of Paul insofar as he followed Christ. They became imitators of the Lord. And then what happened? They became an example for churches everywhere. Like it, it transferred on. Um, others saw a faith in them that was worth imitating. But notice that this happened, that this growth and imitation happened not easily, but verse 6 says it happened with much affliction. If we want to grow in our faith, if we want to wake up, if we want to have our lives changed by who Christ is, then the devil and the world and our own flesh are going to fight against us. Um, <laughs> everything is going to scream at us, go back to sleep. Just go back to sleep, it's easier. The besetting sins that we have, the things that we go back to again and again and again that we shouldn't, that we know are evil, they whisper to us, go back to sleep. The material things that we give ourselves to are once the stuff that we, that we strive to buy, they often whisper to us, go back to sleep. Our televisions and our games and all the entertainment that we pour into our heads, often whispers go back to sleep. We have relationships that whisper go back to sleep. And if somehow we can get through all of that, and Christ is, has, has just charged us and given us the Holy Spirit, and we're just on fire for him, somehow if we can get through all of that, we'll come under more direct opposition. Because if we're awake, that's one thing, but the enemy doesn't want us to wake anybody else up. And so there'll be a riot in the city. There'll be a riot in your home. 
opposition will come. But they were steadfast. They followed the example of Paul and the others, and they grew in the Lord. Verse 9 says that the other churches, uh, regarding the other churches in the area, says, for they themselves report concerning uh, us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned from God, I'm sorry, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Others looked at the Thessalonian church and they knew exactly where their priorities were. They knew exactly what they cared about. It was clear in the example of their lives. So what about us? As I read about this very young church, um, again, I thought about us because we're a very young church. What about us? What type of example do we as a church set for our community, for those in our community, for the other churches around us? Um, if I had to collect letters from other churches and other Christians in our town, what would they say? What testimony would they have? Would they say that we're spiritually awake, that we have love, that we have faith, that we have hope? And all the things that flow out of those? Are we spiritually awake? Are you spiritually awake? Like, I can only answer this question for me. I can only answer this question as I, as I look out at you and, and I think I know what's going on in your lives. But you can answer it more fully for yourself. Are you awake spiritually? Do you find that the gospel is powerful in your life? Are you growing in love and faith and in hope? This is the truth. Like, judgment is coming. We might not believe it. We might be so comfortable that we forget it. But judgment is coming. God will not let the evil that we see every day in the world go on forever. If Christ has made a way for us so that our sins could be forgiven, if we would just repent and call on him, we don't have to fall under judgment. He's promised to keep us and to grow us once we're his. Are you spiritually awake? To those of us who profess to know Christ, um, have we gone back to sleep? Are we walking around in a haze? Leaders, are your words just words? Do you have any power, any conviction? Are you walking in the spirit? We are a young church, just like the Thessalonians, and we have the opportunity to be an example, just like they were. Let's not let this moment pass us by. God's moving among us. I've seen it. If you need Jesus, like, I, I beg you, come to him. He'll forgive you and love you and walk with you. If you're struggling, cry out to him. He will heal you. He will energize you. Let's look at this example of this great church and let's imitate them. Would you pray with me?
Heavenly Father, um, we love you and we thank you for the grace that you've shown us.